Good morning, church. It's so good to be here with you on this beautiful day. Everybody hear me okay? Am I coming out all right? All right. Well, as Sean, uh, Pastor Sean, introduced me earlier, I am Ralph Neal with the Louisville Regional Baptist Association. And uh, I've been in the ministry for about 30 years. And the Lord has, uh, in the last two years, brought my wife and I home. I had some medical issues, and I had to come on back home so I could get well. And, uh, and oh, by the way, two-thirds of my grandchildren live here, too. So <laughs> and that was the blessing to get to come home to. And uh, we are here to help you as an association. I am blessed to be able to come and help pastors like Sean. And uh, Sean's part of our revitalization team. As a matter of fact, he may not have shared this with you yet, but uh, pending one more vote of the executive board, Sean's going to be the chairman of our revitalization team. And he is deserving of this position as well. We thank God for him. And I've known him for two years, and I've learned some things from him as well, one of which is that he loves you all. He takes serious his role as the shepherd here at uh, Eastwood, First Baptist Eastwood. And so uh, I, I think you're blessed to have him as your pastor. And I, I don't just say that when I go around. <laughs> I really don't. And so uh, I, I'm thankful for him, and I know you are as well. Today, I'm really passionate about church revitalization. And God called me in that direction. I, I was in the business world for the first 20 years after, after college. The Lord called me out of that into the ministry. If he had told me I was going to be doing church revitalization, I think I would have run. Uh, and, and, but it, it comes with hardships. It comes with difficulty. But you know what? He was there every step of the way. And if I look back on it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, so I get to come and share with you about that. God has called, as I said, my wife and I into that. And I would say when we're called, it's not just me. It is both me and my wife and my family, and we are part of the same process. And so we were, for 10 and a half years, we were at a church in uh, central Kentucky. And then for the last four and a half years of our ministry, I did some other things prior to that. Uh, I was in a church near Memphis, Tennessee, a large church. So one small church and one large church the Lord let me work with those churches as he revitalized them. And so I'm thankful to be part of that. My prayer today is that some of you will hear these words that I'm going to preach today and answer the call to minister to your church, to help your church in revitalization. You see, it's the, you, just, you can't hire a pastor and expect him to come in and do all the changes. You hire a pastor that loves the Lord, that loves the Word of God, 
that want you to grow and be healthy, but he needs your cooperation. He needs your help. And so I hope today you'll see an example in the Word of God of what that might look like. Because there is a dire need of revitalization in our churches. That would be, if you're taking notes, that would be a bullet point to write down, a dire need in our churches. As I've already said, I love the Lord, I love His church, and I know you do as well. We are a living and breathing organism. We are His church. I may not go to church here, but I belong to Jesus Christ, so I am part of the church. It's not the walls, it's you that are the church, and I'm a part of that as well. And anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, followed Him in believer's baptism as part of His church. And I say followed in believer's baptism because historically that's been the part of when someone officially enters into the body of the church is through baptism. And I would say to you this morning, all of our churches need revitalization at some point. And why do I say that? What biblical foundation would I have to say that? And I would quickly take you to Revelation 2 and 3, and you don't need to turn there unless you really want to. By the way, turn to Nehemiah 1 while I'm talking, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But Revelation 2 and 3, in that you know that Jesus in his letters to the churches was telling them of things they needed to change, things they needed to revitalize. And you don't have to go far into those chapters. Matter of fact, the fourth verse of chapter 2, he tells the church at Ephesus this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Well, that's a serious indictment. What, what's he talking about? You say He's telling them they've, they've lost their focus on him. He is to be our first love. He is the one that the church is all about. <laughs> He's the head of the church. And they had lost their first love with him. And not only does it happen to all churches, all churches go through, excuse me, I'm taking sinus medication this morning, so it's got me dry. Hopefully, hopefully my sermon won't be dry. <laughs> <laughs> all churches go through life cycles. Your church is in a life cycle somewhere. Now, I don't have a screen to show you, but if you can imagine a bell curve that looks like that, you've seen them probably about a life cycle of a human being, a life cycle of any organization. If you look over here on this side of this bell curve, that's the birth of a church going up, it's growing, it's maturing, and at some point it peaks. And from there, it's downward spiral. And not so good for a lot of churches. And that's what we're trying to help with as the association is to come in and help churches figure out where they are, what they need to do to get back on track with the Lord and doing the things that the Bible calls them to do. So if you can imagine that life cycle, 
it would be a good thing for you all to, and Sean knows this bell curve thing I'm talking about, for him to put it on a whiteboard, brother, and have the church think about where they are on their life cycle. If you don't know where you're at, how do you know what you got to do? <laughs> so a little bit of self-examination would go there as well. Now, here's the real facts. 80% of our LRBA churches are plateaued, meaning they've hit that top mark, or they're declining. Now think about that. 128 out of 160 churches in our association have plateaued or are declining. That's 8 out of every 10. If you drove into town, 8 out of every 10 churches in this community, whether they're Baptist or not, it, it crosses all the sections of denomination, the decline in church. Eight out of ten, every church that you pass would have been plateaued or declining. And it's that way all across our nation. And you know this. You see this. You see what's happening in the decline of the churches. Those of you who've been going to church for a long time have seen the numbers go down, haven't you? But you know what? Our Lord Jesus is still on the throne. We still have time. We have time until he comes back to do what we need to do biblically to bring our churches back to life. We cannot create revival, but we can set the stage for it. We can make ourselves available for it through prayer and through seeking God. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Because we have a crisis in our churches. And we need the Lord to bring an awakening. Now, y'all familiar with what's happened over the last few weeks with Asbury Revival? That is, I, I didn't get to go to this one, and I, shame on me. I should have got down there earlier. But in the 70s, that happened there. And if you want to watch something pretty cool, let's go on YouTube and, and type in Asbury Revival and watch the one, watch them talk about the one that happened in the 70s. That's revival. When I'm talking about our awakening, I'm talking about what God has done in the history of man over several times since, since Christ. He has blown through his spirit and changed cultures. He has changed people's hearts. And I think we're at a point right now we really need God to bring an awakening. And awakening starts in things like the Asbury Revival and spreads. And so be praying. That's one thing you can do is be praying that God will bring an awakening to his church. We need it in our nation. We need it in the Southern Baptist Convention. We need it in our local churches. And we say, I say, if you'll join me, Lord, please bring revival. Now, there's many reasons why that we're in this crisis. And I want to list a few. We have, and this we've seen this in several of our local churches, the culture around the church, meaning the people and the, their background has changed, but the church hadn't changed with it. And that's one, one thing that's gone. Another reason is that lack of an intentional discipleship. Now, I know your pastor has a good definition of discipleship. There's many. Some say this is discipleship, and it's a part of it. 
Some says Sunday school is a discipleship. It's a part of it. But what I'm talking about there is an intentional one-on-one discipleship of helping young believers mature in Christ. And we've not done that as a church over the whole. And that we need to we need to work on that. We need to help that. And then that's how we can prepare. And then another reason is that what I call uh, years of easy believism. Walk the aisle, have a fuzzy feeling, walk the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, pray, and you're, you're a Christian. Well, it's, it's that easy, let me say that, to become a true Christian. The fruit of that is how you live after that decision. If there's no change, then the decision has just been an emotional one. Because once you accept Jesus Christ, everything in you begins to change for the better. Does it get easier? Absolutely not. In many cases, it gets tougher. But we've had years of people promoting, it's just easy to come in and proclaim Jesus and go on with life, live it however you want to, and that's not what Christianity is. And then there's been years of focusing on the wrong indicators of what a healthy church looks like. And our convention is guilty of this. I love the Southern Baptists. I love being part of that. I love the church. The fact that I'm telling you all the problems this morning is so we can understand what needs to be done and how we need to make ourselves available to respond to these needs. And, and so for years, we've been looking at the size of our budget, the size of our building, and how many people are sitting in the pews as of whether or not we're healthy. Now, you know as well as I do, this room could be full of people. And that doesn't indicate that they're healthy in Christ. So we have had the wrong measurements. So we've been measuring ourselves by this when we should be measuring ourselves by this. And the growth in there. And I'm not finding many. It's really a disappointment to me. I'm not finding many in our denomination that are recognizing, that are sounding the alarm, that are raising the flag that we've got these issues. As a matter of fact, we had a visit from our executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention at the association office, and we got a chance to ask questions. And I asked one of the leaders, I said, what's happening with revitalization? And I just got a blank stare. And they referred me to somebody else which I know who they referred me to, and they were doing minimal work in revitalization. So we've got to wake up. We've got to recognize that there's an issue, and we've got, it's a call to, to arms, so to speak, to stand up and be there for your church, be there for Christ, be open to what he might have you do to bring change that will bring revitalization. We don't like to change, do we? Everything changes. The church changes, but the message stays the same. We have to prepare. So there's help needed. As I said, your pastor's been a large part of this. I'm so thankful for Todd Robertson. I don't know if you know him or not, but Todd's AMS. He's my boss. And He's a visionary. He's probably the best associational leader in the country. 
He's moving us forward and being relevant to you to come out and say, how can we help you fulfill your gospel mission? How can we serve you? How can we be with you? And, and that's what we're working on. And we need assistance in revitalization. We need those that are called to it and those churches that are in need of it. They need to, uh, to uh, work on it as well. And my hope today, as I said, some of you will join me in prayer and maybe respond to the call that we hear from the scripture this morning. And I hope and my desire is that the word of God will move in your heart to the point that you might be a Nehemiah here at your church. And that brings me to the scripture. That brings me to Nehemiah, one of my favorites. If you want to read a book of the Bible that kind of gives you an idea of what leadership looks like, read Nehemiah with a view of leadership in place. It's a great book for that. It's also a book that strongly exemplifies what is needed in and from our people and our churches today. So let's look at it in just a second. And as you're turning there, which you probably already did, let me give you a bit of background. So you understand the setting of what was going on here in Nehemiah's time. First of all, we need to talk about Ezra. Ezra was the priest. And he some believe that the books Ezra and Nehemiah were one book at, at a time, and I can understand that. They were all together as one book. But Ezra was a priest, and in 1516 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. It had been destroyed. It was rebuilt in 1516. Fifty-eight years later, Ezra leaves Babylon for Jerusalem, begins his work in the temple, but Jerusalem's walls and gates set in destruction. Ezra began to work on the spiritual side. He was the priest. And then roughly 13 years after that, in 445 B.C., we see the setting where Nehemiah asked about Jerusalem and the remnant there, which is the beginning of God using a layman. He wasn't a priest. He was a person that loved his people, that loved God. And, and so Nehemiah feels this burden. Let's see how the scripture reads. Look at me, verses one through three. But let me tell you this first. Nehemiah, and you can write this down as one of your bullet points if you'd like. Nehemiah had heartfelt concern for God's people in Jerusalem. Listen to his heartfelt concern. Listen to it come out as I read the scripture. And his heartfelt for concern for Jerusalem, the city of God. Listen to it. Verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, as a citadel that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Are we there yet? Are we there yet as a church? 
I'm not sure. But Nehemiah cared about his people. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king in the exile. And, and Nehemiah had it easy, relatively. He was a servant. He was in the king's court. He lived in plush environment, so to speak. But he was burdened for his people. And you know what? Most of us are blessed beyond your imagination of what people live like in the world. We could, we could be like Nehemiah. We could rest easy and not worry about things. So Nehemiah, here he is living in the king's palace. His brother, and most believe that's his actual brother, came to them. He asked about uh, Jerusalem. He asked about the people. And, and he had this heartfelt concern. Church, we need heartfelt concern for his church. We need heartfelt concern for this church. And like just like Nehemiah had a heart for God's people in despair, we need our associational churches to have that same heartfelt concern for one another. You know, we love our autonomy. <laughs> but sometimes it works against us. We are better together than we are individually. And that's why we do this as an association, is to bring our churches together, helping one another, to encourage them to do that. If you have a need, we hope we can go help somebody, ask somebody to come help you, and vice versa. We need that. And so the heartfelt concern, what do I mean by heartfelt concern? Let me just say this. A heartfelt concern is when your spirit has a deep abiding concern for the welfare of others. That's heartfelt. A deep abiding concern for the welfare of others. Do you pray for your sister churches? Do you help them? Do you work with them? Have you got a sister church around here you partner with? That's things to look into so you might help one another. And so Nehemiah had this deep abiding concern for his people. And then... My next bullet point, if you want to write down, Nehemiah reacted to the news about Jerusalem with heartbreak. When he heard it, his heart broke. Look at me at the, the uh, verses 3 through 11. And they said to me, this is the response of his brother and others, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. And watch Nehemiah's reaction in verse 4. This is key. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and his commandments and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes upon, open, excuse me, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, for servants, your servants, confessing their sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I in my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This was talking about Jerusalem, verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I am the cupbearer to the king. What I want you to see here is how Nehemiah responded when he heard those words. How we might respond when we hear of churches that are just barely keeping the doors open and want to grow. When he heard about the news about Jerusalem and about God's remnant, his heart broke and he wept and mourned for days. And he continued to fast and pray. He just didn't throw up a prayer. He prayed and fasted for around four months. That's heartbreak. And that's a desire for God to move. And Donald Whitney quotes in his book, A Spiritual Disciplines, and I'm going to paraphrase, fasting does not guarantee God will answer your prayer, but it does put him on notice that you're serious. God needs to know how serious we are. We need Nehemiah's. And with the situation that many churches are facing today, the culture all of us are operating in, those that you're in my age or older, you're looking at a culture you never imagined would be in place. That's how much it's declined in our age. It's scary. It's troubling. We moved back to Louisville. I grew up in the East End, but I, could, I couldn't afford to move back in the East End. I live in the South End. I love it in the South End. And I don't know about how here, but in the South End, I'm hearing gunshots on a regular basis. Okay. <laughs> I like interaction, by the way. I, never in my wildest dreams would I think that things are the way they are right now. We need God to move. And we can learn so much by Nehemiah's prayer to God. He prayed God's scripture back to him. He took the word of God and he prayed it back. And he prayed and asked God to recall his promises. And Christ has promises for his church. One of which we're going to celebrate today in, in, in the Lord's Supper as we we take it in expectation of him coming back. He's coming back, church. He'll come back in all of his glory. I don't know about you, but there's many people in this world that need to know Jesus Christ before he comes back and before they die. Or they're going to spend eternity in hell, and hell is real. That's what's at stake. But listen to some of the Lord's promises for his church. 
Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's promised us the kingdom. Matthew 24, 30 through 31. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Come, Lord Jesus. And he will send out his angels with loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, meaning you, the church, from four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. What a promise. Eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his promise to us. That's his promise to us as a church. Now let's go back to Nehemiah. Listen to how Nehemiah pleaded with God. Look at verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. What did he do there? He repented. He confessed the sins of him and his people and asked God to move. We need to pray. When we're praying and when we're fasting and ask God to move in these same areas, we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We ask God to move in a powerful way. You know what? I believe God can do anything. I do, and I stand by at the church I went to near Memphis. They, they literally asked me that in this, this question in the, one of the dinners we had prior to calling me. They were in such bad shape. My wife and I already knew we were called to go there. And they sent us all the information. They, they gave everything wide open what was wrong with them. They had 300 people and a mortgage of $40,000 a month. Can you imagine that? Because of poor leadership prior. And the guy asked me in the, <laughs> asked me in the interview, he said, I want to know, are you called or are you crazy? Why would you want to come here? And I told him, I said, well, I'm both. <laughs> I'm called in crazy. I'm crazy enough to believe God can do anything. And I know he's called us. And that's all I needed to know. And God did turn that church around and got it on a good path. Now things have happened that taken it back off that path. But it was in good shape because of him. And he allowed me to do that work. So we need to confess our sins. We need to believe that God can do anything. And look at that, verses 8 through 10. He asked God to restore Jerusalem and his people. Now, does God want to restore Jerusalem? Absolutely. Does God want to restore his church? Absolutely. Would God like to hear us and pray for God to restore his church? Absolutely. And look what in verses 8 through 10. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among people. He did what he said he was going to do. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah is just praying to God of who he is 
about his word and asking him to move. That's what we need to do. And I ask you, church, will you join me? Not just today, but will you join me over the next weeks, months, year, praying that God will move in the life of his church? That's something I ask you. And when you, if you pray, pray for God's promises for his church to be fulfilled. Pray with a repentant heart for those of us who have gone astray and those of us who have disobeyed God that we would come back to God. Pray for success of all our local churches in the efforts of revitalization that that they will work. Pray that God will use us as he sees fit. You know, God loves availability. If we make ourselves available and say, God, please use me, he's going to in some way or form. You're saying, God, I want this for you. I want this for our church. I want this for the church. And ask him. Nehemiah asked God to help his people. Nehemiah's heart broke when he heard the news. Our heart needs to break over that 80% figure of churches plateaued or declined. Let's look what's left in Nehemiah. This is the next bullet point if you write those down. Nehemiah responded to Jerusalem's need when God provided He responded to the need when God provided. Can we try to get ahead of God by trying to fix things on our own? Yes. Is it going to work? Perhaps some little success. But if we ask God to do it, and then when we recognize he's providing for us to do that, we have to jump through that hoop and go do it. Whatever that is. I don't know what that will look like for you. It will be different for everybody but you need to know where God is working and you need to join him. That's how you grow a church. You find where God's working and you join him. You jump through those opportunities. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I want to read them to you. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, remember he's the cupbearer, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been in sad presence. I had not been in sad in his presence. He, he was always joyous in the king's presence. And the king recognized this and he said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. The king could see his broken heart. Then I was very much afraid. He didn't know what to do next. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Now, what's the first thing that I did? He prayed. He prayed God would give him the answer that he should tell the king. So I prayed to God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of fathers, graves, 
that I might rebuild it. I don't overlook the fact that Nehemiah was in captivity. But the king knew Nehemiah. And he knew the continents of Nehemiah. And he knew that he was heartbroken. You ever seen somebody like that? You look at a person, you know they're heartbroken. The king knew this. And so Nehemiah was able to share his deep concerns, his heartfelt concerns. And, and, and the king recognized that Nehemiah was grieving for his Lord and his people. And even through his fear, Nehemiah trusted God and courageously spoke up when the king asked him. And immediately he prayed and asked God to direct him and the king. God can direct anybody, you know that? And here's what made Nehemiah so special, so special that the Jews recorded his story in the book of the Old Testament. He had a deep, genuine concern for God's people and their home. And at God's direction, Nehemiah did something about the situation. Church, you can do something if God calls you to do it. And it may look impossible. But if God calls you to do it, it's going to work. And that's what I want you to see here. And what happened about that? Not only did, did the king allow Nehemiah to go and to rebuild, but he sent a letter giving him notice that he could get all the supplies he needed, a letter to the governor so that he would be protected, that he was doing the king's work. This is a pagan king, and he's going back to build the, rebuild the city of, of our one true God. God can do anything. And so the rest of the story, his leadership led to the restoration of Jerusalem. Nehemiah's task of revitalization. Now listen to the scope of this work. It took 52 days to rebuild the city walls. Just 52 days. Now listen to it. The, the walls are two and a half, approximately two and a half miles long and eight foot deep average. And in 52 days, they built the walls of the city. When God calls you, you can do it. And he was an inspiration to help others, to, to encourage others to help. But their task wasn't easy. And something that happens in revitalization all the time, there are saboteurs who don't want it to work. It wasn't their way. They don't want it to work. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. I want to show you their, his nemesis. <laughs> but when Sambalat and uh, the Hornite and Tobias Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, I tell you, this is a true story. In the first church, I spent ten and a half years. We began, I, we started doing mission work in the local school, and people began coming to the church. The church began growing, and, and it was just a rural church. Basically, most everybody was 50 at least above, most likely 60 and above. And here we had this influx of people coming in. And these some of these people, not all of them, who had been there all their life felt like they owned his church. And they would say to me, who are these people? I said, they're new believers. They're people that 
want to come and be here, get to know them. I don't know about all this. One Sunday, I'm just telling you stories, things that happened. One Sunday, I led a retired state trooper to the Lord, and he got baptized on this Sunday. And right as he was leaving, one of the older ladies in the crowd said to him, you'll just do fine here if you've got plenty of money. And he never came back. I couldn't get him to come back. And then over the course of time, over about two years, they started attacking me. They went on the internet anonymously, said things about me that were absolutely not true, horrendous things that my children had to deal with publicly in high school, all to tear it down so they could keep control of the church. Church, there's no room for that. The lead guy in that stood up a couple Sundays, and he stood up and said, this is my church. We're not going to do things this way. God moved him out. He needed to be moved out. And he moved out some of the others. And I want to tell you that today that that church is thriving. And I praise God. I went up there first of the year and went to the church service there. My son was speaking there. And I looked around and I almost started weeping. God can do anything. It may not happen right now. But it takes time. Churches didn't get in this mess overnight. It's going to take a while for them to get out of it. God can do it overnight. I've seen him do it. Church. What does God want you to do with his church? Nehemiah and others knew that God had called him. Even in this opposition. You know the story. They worked with a sword in one hand and worked to rebuild the walls in the other because they came under attack. Spiritual attack will come when you're trying to revitalize a church. Spiritual warfare will happen. But we need people in the church that are ready to do whatever it takes to get the job done. This church, every church, but I'm preaching to you today. This church needs people praying. This church needs people responding to help like Nehemiah did. This church needs healthy churches around us that will come and help you all. We need to be more about that. And this gives churches that are struggling revitalization. I'm not saying that you're sick today. Please don't hear that. I'm saying the church is sick. And the church needs your help. And where do we start when we need help? The church needs help in our county. Someone wisely told me, and I think it, it, I believe it speaks for the church as well. But when I was first coming into the ministry, they looked at me and they said, oh, it, it burnt me up, but I, I needed to hear it. You ever had something told to you that you didn't like, but you know is the truth? Ministry starts at home. Church ministry starts right here. And when that happens, people all around will see what God's doing. Do you want God to move? Please be in prayer. Please be in prayer. You know, I'm going to close now, but I want to say this too. This revitalization business, this bringing back to life that which was 
dead, revitalization. Vita in the middle of revitalization means life. So revitalization means bringing back to life that which was dead is needed. It's also a story of the gospel. We were once dead and Christ brought us alive. Through faith in Christ, you can have eternal life. And that's what this story is about. If you repent, am I repenting? If you repent, call upon the name of Jesus Christ and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Prayer. Ask God today. If you don't know Christ, ask God to break your heart for him, for his church. And if you already know Jesus Christ, ask him where you might serve your church. How can you be a Nehemiah, a layperson that's helping your, your pastors lead this forward? How can you help his church in Louisville? How you might bring revitalization. Jesus fixes broken, doesn't he? He fixes broken cities. He fixes broken churches. He fixes broken hearts. And he fixes broken people. And he died on the cross to take upon my sin. He died upon the cross to take upon your sin. And on the third day, he rose again. And he's alive today. And he's coming back. Let's help him get his church in order. Let's be Nehemiahs in a world that needs Nehemiahs.